Deuteronomy, hardly the place where most of us would turn in our Bible reading, but it is the place that has some powerful advice about staying free of the occult. We've learned about the ancient Canaanite worship and considered its relationship to some of the religious beliefs being propagated today. Now, let's continue our study titled, Beware of the Spiritual Pied Piper. This Christianity thing, just like this Old Testament faith, can never be just half-hearted. The Lord says, I want you to give me everything. He says, I beseech you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me, which is your reasonable service of worship. When the Lord Jesus came into your life, he came into your life to make you a disciple. He came into our lives to make us followers of himself. He says, I want you to serve him. But if there's something about serving him I want you to realize, is his burden is light, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. You see, many times we turn the service of our Lord God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, into some kind of a, a performance standard. We turn it into, it's all motivated by guilt and, and religious leaders, like I was sharing with you the last time we were together, religious leaders fuel that, that guilt so that you'll give more, so that you'll perform more, so that you'll make the organization go more. That snuffs out what it means to serve the Lord Jesus. When you serve the Lord Jesus, when you come to him, when you allow his love to express itself, he's the one that sets you free. He's the one that takes away the burden. He's the one that, that makes you clean. He makes you feel forgiven as you respond to him. As you come to him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Phariseeism that he was, that he was constantly fighting against is never an easy yoke. It's always hard. And that legalistic performance always motivates you over the short term, but then you want to throw it all off and get completely away. And Moses was instructing the Old Testament people not to come under a legalistic relationship with God, but he was telling them they needed to love him with all their heart. They need to serve him. Who are you serving today? Who are you living for today? Who's at the center of your being? Who's driving you? Who's the one that you're living for? The Lord is saying that you're going to be seduced by a false teacher if you don't serve him with all your heart. Half-hearted believers will always be seduced by a false teacher. And then he says, finally, I want you to hold fast to him. He uses a word, I want you to cling to him. It's very similar to the word that's been used in the, in the Pentateuch back in Genesis. For a husband, I want you to cling to your wife. The Lord God says to a wife, I want you to cling to your husband. It's a word of binding, gluing relationship. He's saying, I want you to cling to the Lord God of heaven. It's not the idea that, man, I'm hanging onto him by my fingertip, by the, just the skin of my teeth, and, man, I'm going to lose him at any minute. That's not what it means. It means that the Lord wants you to, to just be joined with him, to recognize your intimacy with him. Some of you are sitting there going, saying, Dave, I'm not really facing any false teaching. Man, false prophets don't have anything to do with me. I'm just innocently coming in after celebrating Joel's birthday and took him out to eat. We came in and we're kind of, we played volleyball and then we came in. I just turned on the TV before I went to bed and Ohio State was playing Washington. And suddenly the announcers, what I noticed is the camera was scanning the crowd and a guy held up John 3.3. 3. 
Now, I always wonder about that method of evangelism because I really believe that a lot of unbelievers probably wonder what in the world John 3.3 is. In fact, there's a guy that pays to go all over the country to be able to put up that big sign, John 3.16. But I want to share something with you. The camera quickly switched off John 3.3. But the announcers talked repeatedly about a fortune teller that they had talked to before the game. In fact, they've talked to her about the last three games, and they expressed to millions of people how she expressed how what would happen in the first quarter, there would be a surge from one of the teams, and then during the second quarter, there would be the surge from the other team, and then in the second half, in the second half, Ohio State would be able to take over. And the announcers began to repeatedly say, man, we need to check out with this girl, man. This could really help us with our odds because the last three games she's nailed. Now, what is that? You know what that's called? It's called the occult. It's a mild form that we've gotten very used to. But you listen this week. I want every one of you in this audience, the young people up to the adults, we are moving into very blatant, very strong, direct exposure to the occult. And it comes out in incredible ways. In athletics, comes out in your newspaper. Even our political leaders will say this is something we can do. Our police forces will be in touch with mystics to be able to get leads on murder cases. We are rapidly moving in to the same kind of things that Moses was so concerned that his Old Testament people, those precious Israelites, would not follow the pathway of the occult. And it's raising its head in our culture very carefully. October is a month of the year that's filled with all the overtones of the dark and of the occult. And some of you say, well, Dave, I've really seen some real things. Yes, that's what this chapter is saying. I've seen some really powerful things. Man, when I mess around with that Ouija board, some really weird things happen. Beware. You're learning in this chapter. There is tremendous power in the false prophet. That's what I'm telling you. You might see tables fly across rooms. You might see people levitating. You might see some really weird stuff. You might have some predictions that are made about your life that come true. And you're going to be seduced. And you sit here piously going, oh no, it's not going to bother me. Yes, it can. And Moses is saying, beware. Just because you see the demonstration of supernatural power, that is not enough to prove that it's the truth. And being very serious, because I love you all, I don't want one of our kids to follow the lies of Satan. I don't want one adult to slip away from a commitment to the Word of God and begin to follow false religious teaching. Because Satan lies, and then he murders. If you start to move into the pathway of false prophecy, you start to move into the pathway of the occult. You start to follow people that are not telling you to be fully devoted to the Lord God of heaven. Then you're in real serious danger. And you know what? This game 
this game can get very subtle because the Lord God told us, turn to the book of Matthew. The Lord God told us in Matthew 24 that in the last days that we're not going to just have false prophets that counsel us to go away from the Lord God or away from the Lord Jesus, but there's going to be false prophets that use all the terminology. They're going to use all the different names for Jesus Christ. They're going to be claiming to be his representatives. Notice what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. It says in verse 22 of chapter 24 of Matthew, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now notice what he says in verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear, and they will perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. It isn't, praise God, but if that were possible, they could. The deception will be so cunning. See, I have told you ahead of time, so if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, if you're away at school, go away to university, and someone says, man, you need to go way out into the desert. You need to be like the Beatles, and you need to go all the way over to India because you can find the eternal way up in the Himalayan mountains. Man, there's a Maharishi over there that will really have the answer. The Lord says, don't go. Don't believe it. If someone, here he is in the inner room, if someone says, hey, come to this secret meeting, you're going to really meet God there. There's someone that's really speaking the name of Jesus there, and it's just a secret society that only we are a part of. He says, don't believe it. Now look at verse 27. I want every one of you to look at verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is carcass, there the vultures will gather immediately after those days. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall, in, and the Lord Jesus predicted the culmination of this age. I want you to look at carefully that verse. The next time that Jesus comes visibly onto planet Earth, we're not talking this passage about the rapture where the Lord comes to snatch you away into the clouds. But the next time that Jesus comes to planet Earth, what is it going to be like? Like lightning. The next time Jesus invades planet Earth in a bodily visible form, it's going to be like a lightning bolt. I want to tell you something. How many of you have ever seen a gigantic bolt of lightning? Did you wonder, you say, man, I don't know what that was. Did you see that? No, it was really hard to see. It's almost impossible to see a lightning bolt, right? Wrong. I've told this story about when I was up at Word of Life and we were going through our counselor training and suddenly there was a boom, a ball of lightning. I mean, just like a, it looked like a meteorite went right over the heads of everybody in that audience. It knocked out the window behind me. I was sitting up on, a, on one of those benches. I jumped six benches to the front, right into a whole row of kids. The guy that was with me did the same thing. I had glass all over me. And I want to share something with you. Nobody in that audience said, well, I don't know what that was. <laughs> when lightning hits, you know it. And Jesus is saying the next time he comes into the world, there will be no mistaking it. He's come once, secretly, as a little baby in a manger. God announced it. It was in the fullness of time. 
But in a lot of ways, he's moving in the world now through his spirit, through his movement among mankind, is very much of an internal thing. In fact, in Luke, he talks about the kingdom that's within. And that's what you're experiencing. And the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and the presence of Jesus in your heart. But I want you to be really beware of the individual that says, I am Jesus Christ. If they don't look like a lightning bolt, and if they don't usher in the end of time, they're lying. I don't care if they can, they can cut people in half. I don't care if they can fly things all around the room. I don't care if they can predict. I don't care if they can talk in weird voices. I don't care what they can do. If they are not coming like lightning, which all the world will know, and all the world by its sheer power will be forced to bow down, don't follow them. And what I'm talking about in the calmness of this auditorium, it sounds like, oh, it would be so easy to follow. But when your heart is hurting, when you're real discouraged, maybe when you're away at college and you're all alone, and somebody comes and they're able to somehow have a touch with what's beyond, it's real easy to start to follow into the false teaching. And what happened then in Waco is an extreme warning of where it can end in fiery death. If someone would have ever known with that group and said, when a man claims to be the Christ, beware. Because the Christ of Scripture is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has already come. And he will never lie to you. He will never abuse you. He's not nearly as flashy right now in this age of grace. He's not nearly as flashy many times as the evil one. But he is always the friend that sticks closer to a brother. And he is the only savior that can guide you safely through this life and take you right through the doorway of heaven into the Father's presence forever. And Moses is saying, don't ever leave him. Don't ever not follow him. Don't believe the false teachings. In fact, you know, Moses was so exercised about this that he tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 13 what old Israel was supposed to do with this false teacher. It says in verse 5, that prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He has tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who commanded you to follow him. You must purge the evil from among you. Now you must understand that the, the Old Testament covenant community was a theocracy. The Lord God in the book of Deuteronomy presented himself as the king of the people. At Sinai, they made a, a, a willing agreement. They voted, you might say, to accept the Lord God as their sovereign, as their king. They swore allegiance to the Lord God of heaven who delivered them from Egypt. What Moses is teaching is that this false prophet is counseling insurrection against the Lord God of heaven, against the king. You can understand a little bit of what it feels like if, if you get involved with a group that is planning a bombing against a major building in New York City, and they're talking about, about producing a climate of unrest because their desire is to overthrow the United States of American government. 
Their goal is to produce bombings throughout the land, and they want to disrupt the political stability so that they can take over the United States of America. If you meet with a group like that, and you take part in discussions like that, and the FBI suddenly invades your little enclave, and they can demonstrate by the bomb paraphernalia and by tape recording of your conversation, you are in bad trouble. And that's what was going on in old Israel. You see, it was a theocracy. Now, under this age of grace, the Lord isn't saying that if someone's a false teacher that we go out and hit them in the head with a rock. I need to repeat that because many believers in this age of grace are talking like we're back under the Old Testament theocracy. It's very serious. I mean, when when an abortion doctor is killed in the name of the Lord, supposedly, we have some very misapplication of the Word of God. The Lord Jesus could have zapped Pilate and all the Roman soldiers that abused him. He could have destroyed all of Jerusalem. He could have destroyed the whole world when they did the injustice of the cross. Why didn't he? Because now he's coming to win the hearts internally. He's not using his power. He's not using his might. Beware as a believer in today's world when believers talk about power and about their rights. Beware. In fact, study the history of when in the name of biblical religion we've talked about power, we've talked about rights. It hasn't ushered in the kingdom of God. It's ushered in baths of blood. We have a message of good news that people have to willingly choose to respond to. I'm not talking about not exercising your democratic rights. You better vote. You better be involved. Abortion is a horrible thing that's happening. And you better be influencing. You better be sharing. But remember not to use power in illegitimate ways. We're not the Old Testament theocracy. We are the church of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you must understand that difference. But you say, well, Dave, what do we learn about the character of God from this idea that under the Old Covenant, that an insurrectionist, one that was counseling rebellion, needed to be executed? It tells us how serious it is in the heart of God for someone to lead others into false teaching and for someone to counsel someone else. And you say, well, Dave, why did God have such a severe penalty against it? Because the failure to obey him in this area would lead to the destruction of the nation, and it did. Because the false prophets were not dealt with severely, the false prophets were able to glibly proclaim their message. In fact, most of the history of the Old Testament is God's people listening to false teachers and stoning the true ones. Instead of stoning the false ones, they stoned the true ones. And God had, the Lord God of heaven knew that from the very beginning. The next paragraph tells us a very seductive temptation. Let's suppose that somebody right in your own family under old Israel began to seduce you and says, hey, let's follow false gods. You see, you're not only going to be tempted from outside with false teachers, but you can have someone right in your own family that begin to say, hey, let's move away from the biblical faith. Let's start to do this. And that can be a really subtle influence. 
And the Lord God of heaven says, even if one of your own family members starts to counsel you to turn away, beware of the seduction of an intimate relationship. Where could that hit us? A girl falls in love with a guy. He's not a believer. And the guy is marvelous. He's kind. He's sweet. She's never been treated like this before. He just doesn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't believe in the old rugged cross. He doesn't believe in the resurrection. But he's a nice guy. And you follow the seduction of an intimate relationship. We deal with that constantly. And it will lead you right away from the faith. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, was led astray because of his marriage partners, multiple. And they caused him to follow the exact opposite of what Deuteronomy chapter 13 is sharing. Beware of being seduced away from Christ because of a false relationship. One of the hardest choices that somebody will ever make is you can be right on the edge of engagement and you find out this person doesn't really know Jesus Christ. And I heard back there somewhere in the dim, dark recesses of my mind, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul said somewhere, only marry in the Lord. What choice will you make? All your heart is crying out, this person will make me happy. This person will make me really have peace and, and make me have all the love that I always wanted to have. Where are you going to believe love comes from? And Deuteronomy chapter 13 says, beware of moving into false teaching because of the power and the seduction of a false relationship. The chapter closes with a whole city, a whole city in the nation of Israel. It's like an urban insurrection. And the voices begin to holler. The voices begin to yell. And a whole city moves away from God. And Moses talks about these three areas where the Pied Piper of false religion can come to us. Through a false prophet, a false religious teacher that comes to us with his religious garb on. That's one seduction away from the true faith of God. The second one is the seduction of an intimate relationship. Someone in our family, someone that's close to us, someone that's a close friend. And Moses counsels again, don't give in to that. Resist it strongly. In old Israel, you were to execute the person that tried to seduce you into insurrection. And then he closes with the power of an urban insurrection. You might say, well, man, that'll never, never destroy us. I would never be tempted to do that. In Les Miserables, Victor Hugo told the story of a bunch of college students in Paris after the glorious state of Napoleon, during the time when the French were trying to recapture that. He talked about a lot of college students that really became concerned about the poor people in, in the city of Paris and throughout the country of France. And they started to talk about insurrection against the government. And they boasted with their slogans and they made their banners and they set up a barricade in the streets of Paris. The power of Victor Hugo's play that he talks about how the students were mowed down by the government of its time. And that play has been so powerful and that novel has been so powerful because it speaks to the young and heart across the lands. The Lord Jesus is saying he's called you to a higher purpose. He's called you to the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to decide. Can I influence and change hearts with a gun or can I do it with the Word of God? Those are big choices sometimes. Can I proclaim the good news of this precious, precious book? 
And will my heart be on fire and aflame with the good news that Christ died and Christ can forgive? Or will my heart be aflame for the political cause of the moment that could lead to revolution and insurrection and death? That's what Deuteronomy is talking about. Isn't it incredible how the Word of God talks about real life and choices that can really make a difference? And Moses saying, beware about the voices of insurrection that try to pull you in to councils of rebellion. The book of Proverbs speaks about beware of the fiery orator that can flame your passions and yet lead you into a path of death. The only way that I know to walk safely through life, bringing powerful message of forgiveness and love and generating a family, is to follow this book. I'm so glad as a young man that this book grabbed a hold of my life and of Mary's life. I want to share something with you. This book doesn't destroy lives. It heals them. This counsel of reverencing the Lord doesn't destroy people. It gives them eternal life. This book doesn't generate hate for one another. It pulls us together into depths of family love that we're only beginning to experience. It's the greatest privilege in all the world. And my counsel to you is let's heed the word of the great prophet Moses. Let's follow the life and the word and the truth of the ultimate Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's never listen to the haunting melodies of the false prophets.